But at the same time, I was like so depressed, you know? So just thinking like, like, why did this happen? How did this happen? Like, what am I like going through right now? And like just being so unsure and in so much pain and like just so much misery every day. And like, I, there was a point maybe I was home for like two weeks and I was laying in bed and I was just like, like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I was like, if this is what life is going to be like, I'd rather die. And like, I asked God or whoever's above, like, make the decision for me because like, I don't want to live like this. This is not like, this is not okay. Hi everyone. And welcome to the Veg Talk podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Davey. I'll be sharing conversations that I've had with people who are helping us to live healthier and more compassionate lives through our food choices and daily actions. We'll be hearing from people who are changing the game in their respected fields, whether it be business, sport, food, social media, writing, tech, activism, politics, and more. Now, please allow me to introduce my next guest. Hey, everyone. How you all doing? Just wanted to check in with you all. Uh, I've been down in Knoxville, Tennessee the past week looking after someone's pets and their apartment whilst they're away. It's been really enjoyable. I'm still able to work remotely whilst getting a fresh change of scenery. And if you remember back to episode number five, I was challenged to an 18-mile race in Central Park on November the 16th by podcast guest Nelson Costa. So I've been training for that race down here in the heat and the humidity of a Tennessee summer and I've got my biggest test yet tomorrow so I'm bumping up my training from six miles a day to 10 Um, and I understand that the rest of the training for the week will be uh, some fartlek style uh, running so it's going to be yeah a different challenge but I'm looking forward to it anyway that's enough from me on this week's episode of the Veg Talk podcast, I'm speaking with brain cancer survivor and owner of Pleasant Petites, Bobby Nagelberg. So we chatted down at his place on Long Island in New York about being diagnosed with brain cancer at the age of 21 and what his experience was like throughout that battle. Bobby went through some extremely challenging times over about a three-year span and we'll hear about his experience with the modern-day medical system, how he managed to clear the remaining brain tumor after his surgery, and why he started a raw dessert company. I'm so grateful that he was open to sharing this deeply personal story with you all today. He's a really inspiring individual, and I hope you all enjoy this week's show. All right, dude, we're rolling. Nice. Nice, man. Nice. Awesome to be here. Thanks for... Thanks for picking me up from Lindenhurst Station. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate that. It's been a it's been a busy weekend around New Jersey, New York, but yeah, I'm definitely grateful for the time you've given up today. And yeah. it's cool to be out here. Never been a Long Island or like deep, you know, deep into Long Island. So nice to get a little bit of a feel of what it's uh what it's like. Yeah. I'm so, so uh grateful you came out here, all your travels to get here. I'm honored to be on your show and yeah, excited to talk. Cheers, dude. So, everyone, today uh, I'm with Bobby Nagelberg, Long Island native. Um, he, yeah, he's got an incredible story, and we're gonna we're gonna dig deep into that today. Um, but but currently, you've got your own your own business rolling. Yes. yes. 
Uh, I just tried one. I tried the cacao crunch. Yeah. And oh my god, it was <laughs> it was bomb. Well, it was like kind of like a. It did taste like what I remember, like a Kit Kat kind yeah. of tasting like. That was the inspiration behind it for sure, was uh, creating something that tasted like a Kit Kat. But I think it's kind of evolved now to a Nestle Crunch kind of feel too. So somewhere mixed between those two. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go, in, let's go into that a little bit. So the, the name of the company, it's Pleasant. Petites? Pleasant Petites, yes. So uh, we started about two and a half years ago. Um, we make all like whole food, organic, vegan, mostly raw treats. So um, our goal is to show people that like you could have delicious tasting treats like the cacao crunch, but it could be made from nuts and seeds and dried fruits. And we only use maple syrup or agave, so no refined sugars. Um, we make our own chocolate. We just like try to keep it as simple as possible, and all ingredients that you look in the back of, and that you know what they are, you could eat them on their own. Um, and yeah, we're in a really like growing phase of the business right now. Um, kind of taking it from a local family-run business and trying to take it to the next level with a new packaging coming, and yeah, a lot of new opportunities coming like being on the podcast yeah no it's it's cool it's cool to see like the the journey and see how it grows and yeah uh to learn about that that's interesting that you bring it up as well being able to read the products individually yeah and know what they are yeah and know that you could consume each individual one yeah on its own without like having to google it yeah it's important when i go to the grocery store now and really for ever since i became aware of what I was eating. Um, I Now I have my products. I know where I don't I don't need to look, but any kind of product that I'm not sure of, like I'm, I don't look at what the catchphrases are or, or what their nutritional information says. I want to see the ingredients that are in them. And like if there's, you know, your whole food ingredients or are they fillers or are they processed? Like well, what's going on with, with the ingredients? That's what I'm concerned about. Cool. So I think we'll loop back around and, We'll get back into the to the business side of things, perfect. Um, as we as we, yeah, kind of navigate this conversation. So, I'd love to start off, and I typically start off just hearing about, you know, where you grew up, you know, your family, and and who you had around you, and and what it was like in, um, you know, in the in the younger times <laughs> of your life. Cool. So, um, I grew up in Levittown, which is about. About 20 minutes west of here, where we are right now in Lindenhurst. Um, yeah, I grew up at two brothers. My brother Ryan, two years older than me. Brother Maddie, two years younger. Um, my dad and my mom, we lived together, the five of us. Um, yeah, pretty, I'm sure, like you said, we were talking before, everyone says they had a pretty basic standard childhood, but... You know, I loved sports. I played sports all the time. If I wasn't in school or doing things with my family, like I was playing sports, any sport that was in season or whatever it was. But basketball always was like my my heart. That was like my most important thing I did. Um, you know, I worked at a deli for like ten years growing up. Most of my most of my childhood into my early adulthood, the deli right in town. Um, 
went to high school in the local Levittown Division High School. So yeah, like pretty, when I look back at it, like, you know, basic, basic life growing up in suburban, like suburban America. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So like out here, Long Island, what's, did you, were you a big sports fan as well? Did you, did you follow any of the teams or were you yeah. just, yeah? Oh, like, you know, big Yankee fan, uh, Knicks, again, basketball is my biggest sport, so Knicks fan, but I really just, I, I just wanted to watch all sports. Like I had my teens, but it was more so just about watching sports. I always loved sports because team sports too, because I f- liked how you had to work together and you had to like all contribute to the whole. And I always liked that idea. And, you know, you could be really good individually, but if your team isn't doing the same, then it doesn't work. So I was always drawn to team sports. Yeah, nice. I Kind of the same growing up. Yeah. A lot of team sports as yeah. well. Uh, yeah, and enjoyed every every sport yeah. that was, you know, available to me. Just really. running around outside yeah. with friends, doing anything. like. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's it. Okay, so yeah, I mean, from from again, it's just my perspective. Yeah, but yeah, sounds like very similar to uh, to my upbringing. Yeah, um, I suppose not being from America, we often think about American food as like this typical kind of you know hot dogs and burgers kind yeah. of setup. So was there were you like standard, you know, American diet or like what was, you know, what was on the table like throughout, you know, your, your, your childhood and your teens and like even when you started to get more independence in terms of your own decisions around food? So, yeah, I, was, I would say growing up was definitely standard, like what, what you'd think most kids ate or well, everyone I knew ate, you know, breakfast would be cereal, like, you know, you're kellogg's or whatever brand cereal was with milk maybe a cup of orange juice um pancakes things like that eggs bagels you know and then lunch dinner was always you know the regular meats um pastas Uh, i worked at a deli like i said for 10 years from age like 13 to 23 so I ate there every time I worked there. You get a meal for free, so I ate so much deli food, egg sandwiches, chicken collard classics, uh, turkey sandwiches, like all that kind of stuff. My mom cooked sometimes, but it was usually like, you know, standard foods, um, chicken cutlets and raviolis and that kind of stuff. All the processed foods I ate: pop tarts and hot pockets and all that stuff. Um, even when I could like get to the point where I could make my own food, like I didn't, didn't, I had no interest in making food. I didn't know, I didn't think there was any importance to it. I thought, you know, food was there to fill me up. Um, I, I, I think from about age 18 to 21, I would say, I don't think I ate a fruit or vegetable. Like, and I say that like, like straight up, like, I don't think I had a fruit or vegetable. Legit? Like legit, like in a three-year span. Like we didn't have fruit in our house. Like I never would want to eat vegetables, so I didn't eat vegetables. Like I straight up don't think I ate a fruit vegetable. So like (laughs) I think I might have been even worse than most people. I ate so much candy, like Mm -hmm. crazy, crazy diet that I was eating. Wow. So it was like 
full blown standard American diet. Yeah, yeah. like for like when you when probably you growing up in Australia would think about what Americans eat. Like I was probably like the poster child for that. Wow, it's obviously sitting across from you today. It's it's definitely hard to to believe that. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, we all go through the, these transformations of. I suppose it feels like a past lifetime to you now, more or less. Yeah, it's like like it's hard. Like when you're asking me about my childhood, it's hard to even formulate like like thoughts about what I was doing as a child, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because memories of like what I've been through now, like with physical conditions and stuff. I don't know if that's affected it, but I just feel like it was like pretty standard of like I was, you know, go to school, come home do homework, watch TV, play sports, watch TV, go to bed. Like well, that was pretty much what I was doing, you know? So like, yeah, it's when I look back, it's kind of, yeah. Yeah, no, I can, I, I can, yeah, I, I can understand. And on, yeah. uh, on the same level, like you'd find it interesting that that was, yeah, once daily habits and daily actions that, yeah, yeah they transform over time. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, coming out of like, you know, high school and um, you're still working at, at your deli and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, yeah, let's go down to the, the physical condition and yeah. So right out how of, you declined. Um, right out of high school, I, I was looking to go to, to college to play basketball. Like that was my goal. That was my drive. I figured that the way I looked at it that at the time was get to college playing basketball, get a scholarship, graduate and then like i would figure it out but like graduating college that had been like implemented in me that like that was the most important thing and like you can't do anything in life without that so like that was my focus and i went to suffolk community college for a year that was like a community college in the next uh county over and i played basketball there went to school there so my plan was to go to two years at you know the community college and then transfer two years at a, at a four-year school and then I would graduate. Um, but yeah, like I said, this time in my life, like in my first year of college, like it was also, I just got my car. So I was driving back and forth to college, but now my diet was even worse than ever because you, I was, you get that freedom, right? Like, You're earning your own money. You've got a car, yeah. you've got your own method of transport. It's so dangerous. Yeah. Like, any time of night, any time of day, you know, all my food became eating out. Like my mom would make dinner. Sometimes I would eat it. Other times I would just, why would I eat this when I could go get pizza or McDonald's or whatever else I wanted to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I was, I played one year of college basketball at Suffolk while I was there. And like, you know, I, I was a good college basketball player. I was a good basketball player in general. And I um, had a lot of success playing there and I was kind of, teetering whether i was going to go i had a few few colleges like talking to me about going there after one year and like maybe playing there so i was weighing my options but at this time i was having some like some back pain some neck pain and being an athlete i was just like whatever pain i was feeling i'm fine like i'm just gonna push through it but it was persistent for a few weeks and my mom was like heavily on me to like go to the doctor like get it checked out and Finally, I did, and I went to maybe like three different doctors who all took x-rays and said, you know, there's nothing going on, no pinched nerves in your neck, your back, 
but like the pain it was almost weird like it almost like kept getting worse it was like imagine like a sharp knife like just digging into like the top left part of your back into your like neck and it was like debilitating at times where i would feel like i would lose sensation in my arm or whatnot and after maybe one or two more doctors i met with this doctor and it was just like kind of at the point where i was like listen like all these doctors are telling me that nothing's going on but like i know something's happening in my body so he did an mri then on my head neck back like an hour mri this was on a thursday night this was now give you timeline this was february of 2012 so i was 20 just about to turn 21 at the time and it was a thursday that i went for this this mri this doctor and he said call me monday morning and we'll give you the results. So did that Thursday. Went to bed Thursday night, not thinking anything of it. Friday morning, I wake up. I have to work at the deli at 11 o'clock shift. And it's about 10.30, and I get a call from the doctor's office. So I answer, and it was the doctor. And like right away, I was just like, why is he calling me? You know, I'm supposed to be calling him back on, on Monday. And... He started asking me how I'm doing, and it was just like a weird conversation. No doctor's ever called me before asking me how I'm doing. So I was like, what the fuck's going on? Something's weird here. And after a minute or so, he said, you know, we got the results back from the MRI, and you have a mass growing in your brain. So like, I was kind of like, I was like, what does that mean? What's a mass? And he said, like, you have a tumor growing in your brain the size of a golf ball. And... It was like really like shocking to hear, you know, like I didn't know, I didn't know, like I wasn't prepared for that. So I didn't really know what it meant. And after talking for a minute or so, like I, I totally like blacked out on like anything else that was, that was said in that conversation. I don't remember really anything from that conversation other than that. Um, my mom was standing right next to me at the time, but I got off the phone and I didn't know how to like tell her that I didn't know how to communicate that. So I told her like, oh, the doctor said like everything's fine. I literally like told her, yeah, I told her that, and I and I left. I got in my car and, and started driving to the deli, because I was literally in such a state of shock that like I didn't know how to process or handle like, and my mom, you know, she, she's a mother. She was so concerned and like she, her motherly instinct probably knew something was wrong, so she was like there and just like I just got in my car, started driving to the deli and then like it just started hitting me and I was just like wow, I have a tumor in my brain. And like, I just started breaking down, like hysterical crying, like showed up at the deli and in hysterics. And then they were the first people I told because like at that point, everyone knows something's up. I tell them and then like, they're like, what are you doing here? You're like, you gotta go home. So like, then I went home and I told my mom and then, then, yeah, that that was like how I found out about that. (laughs) Wow. I'm like... Yeah, I'm completely blown away by that. Yeah. That's, um, I can, un- you know, my first reaction there was, oh my God, like, yeah, how can you get off the, the phone and, yeah, just go straight to work. But yeah. I was, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Like, you're in this state of shock. Um, yeah. So, yeah, what kind of feelings were, were going through your head at, at that point was it like 
fear of losing your life was it like what was not yet no? at that point it was it was fear kind of of like what the first thing i thought like is this cancer like that was the first thing i thought mm-hmm. and like so after now talking to my mom call my dad my dad wasn't my parents were divorced at the time so my dad was not living with us so i called him so he came over and like we were just kind of talking about it and then the next step was to get a brain MRI, which I did the next day, a Saturday. Um, got a brain MRI. And then we went to the doctor on like, we got in. It was like, looking back, it was nice that like all these things happened like really quickly. It was able to work out. We got into a doctor in the city like on, on a Tuesday. And like my dad from the beginning was saying like, you need to go to the city. The best doctor's there. Whatever. So we went, got into like one of these like really highly... Um, prestigious doctors and basically they showed us the mri and they showed us like my brain and they showed this like circular like thing that just didn't belong and they were showing this is the tumor or whatever and then that's the point where i think it really started like um like hitting me like because they're just talking like crazy like pumping fear into me at this point like just saying like you got to operate on this right away. If you guys don't get this out of the head, you could you could drop dead at any point. And like once you hear that, it's just like like all right, like they we I literally asked one of the doctors like what will happen if I don't like do anything. And he's like he literally just looked in my eyes like you'll most likely die. And looking back, like probably that still would have I don't know, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but they didn't give me any alternative route. They were just like you got to operate on this do radiation, do chemotherapy. Like that was, that was kind of, and at this time we didn't know any better. We always looked up to doctors like they're, you know, doing the best for us and just didn't question anything. So we were at that time convinced that this is like the only way to do, do the recovery was surgery, radiation, and possibly chemotherapy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, once you start hearing those words, it's got to be absolute shock to the system. We've got to move quickly. Yeah. Listen exactly to what they're saying and get this Absolutely. done. Is that what happened? That like what you just said word for word, that's, that was the thought process. Like they're telling you this stuff and they're doctors, you know, they study this, they went to school for this. They do this every day. Like they know best, they know what I need. So it was like, all right, let's, let's do it. Let's plan surgery. Let's at that time from, the time I was, I guess you'd say diagnosed from the time I, I, that first doctor appointment, the brain surgery was set for three weeks from then. So we had a three week span and every day for those first two weeks leading up to the surgery, I was back and forth to the city for doctor's appointments, blood work, like heart exams, like just so much stuff. Like it was, it was crazy how much stuff I was going back and forth for, um, and like that in itself was just so so draining and mm. it was yeah wild process and then in that time we met with the radiation doctor and he kind of told us what would be happening i had to get like fitted for a mask to get like basically like glued to the table so that when they put the radiation i'll explain that process in a little bit mm-hmm. I had to get like tattoos on my face so like they knew where to insert the radiation. Um, just like a bunch of like things like that. But in that process, we met with a doctor who was going to administer the chemotherapy. And again, I didn't know much at this time. 
Um, I, I just did, I figured this was the next step. We were going to have to go with it. So we were meeting with the doctor and I'll always remember this. I was with my dad and my best friend growing up and still to the day, Jin, we were together. Um, and it was like, I was like, it was towards the end of the two week process. And I was just so like done for, I was just like, so like drained blood taken every day, like doctors every day, like knowing that the surgery is impending thoughts of, am I going to die? All these crazy things. And we met with this chemotherapy doctor and throughout talking, he hands us this list of side effects of chemotherapy. And it was three pages long of like little things from like, not even little, but like from nauseous and throwing up to like, you go down the list, there's things that you causing other cancers causing like all these crazy things like making people more sick and i was just like what even at this time when i was like completely unaware of a lot of things i was just like this doesn't seem right like why am i gonna get something to to cure what i have now but it's gonna potentially cause a future cancer like that just doesn't seem like a something i want to do so we luckily decided like we're not gonna do chemotherapy so we decided just to go with surgery and radiation. So that was the plan. Got it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've never been exposed to anything in that intensity. But coming to America, you see TV ads all the time. You know, the laundry list of side effects on medications. Yeah. Like, hey, we're going to cure your cholesterol. But watch out for the anxiety, depression and death. Yeah. Basically. It's like, oh, hang on a second. Yeah. I don't know if that is a good way to go to yeah. bring my cholesterol down to a manageable level, totally. not a, like an actual cure. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't even thinking that those thoughts at the time. I was like, was I wasn't even questioning any of like pharmaceutical stuff. I was just like, something in me luckily said like that's that's not right. I'm not gonna. I'm so not did gonna you voice that. that? Did you say, hey, this doesn't yeah. seem right? To yeah. Me. And my dad and and Jin, who were both in the room, like they both were like, this doesn't seem like they were like open to it. But once I said like no, they were like, yeah, like that just seems pretty crazy. And like at the time, like so they they did tests and they knew that the, it was called a pendymoma, the tumor I had, and it was like it was most common in children under five. So like it's bizarre and like they don't know. They said it was growing in my head for at least a couple of years based on the size, but who knows how long it could have been there. Um, and it's like it's a malignant tumor, cancerous tumor that doesn't act aggressively like initially. So like they told me that once I have surgery, once like you attack it, like if it comes back, it'll like be very aggressive. So that's why they were kind of like pushing the radiation and chemotherapy. They were like, we have to get rid of it. But um, yeah. So what ha- what happened when the when you went back to the doctor and said we don't want to go with chemotherapy? They were like not happy with it. Like kind of told us we should, but like we were. It was kind of like that was going to be down the line anyway. So I think they were more concerned. Of like they were pushing like let's act on this right now. Let's do the do the surgery, do the radiation, and like then maybe they would convince me down the line, or maybe I would decide down the line something like that. Okay, right. so three weeks down the track, you, your surgery gets scheduled? Yeah. Well, it was already scheduled. It was scheduled from day one. Like, as soon as okay. we went in, it was scheduled. So, it was for three weeks down the line. It was for February 13th. Um, 
Yeah, February 13th, 2012. That was the surgery day. So we went. It was a Monday morning. We went to um, Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in the city. I was with my mom, my dad, and my brother, Ryan. And, yeah, it was, like, such a a weird, weird thing, a weird morning. Like I was going to say, like, what was the family dynamic like at that point? You know, Also, par- at the time, my parents are divorced. Divorced, exactly. So, I suppose it, in some capacity, they're forced to come back together. Yeah, which they were completely, like, amazing yeah. throughout the whole process, like, of, like, being there for me and being united for me. So, like, that was cool. And, like, but it was just, like, a somber thing, you know? Like, nobody really knew what to expect. We were trying to stay positive, but, like, the reality of the situation is just, like, overwhelming. Yeah. And um, we we were, like, the first appointment scheduled that day. So, we got to the, to the hospital real early, and hospitals in the morning are, like, they're always eerie any time of day, but in the morning it was just like so, so eerie there. And they smell funny. Oh, and they're dark <laughs> and it's just, it's not a cool place. No, not a good vibe. <laughs> no. So, um, yeah, we got there and they had to put uh, like different, all these markers on my head, I guess, of where they were going to like be entering my head or whatever. And then, you know, I got taken to the waiting room and then at like 8 a.m., nurses came and they're like you know all right like ready and like i i had to like get up say like bye to my parents my brother and then i like walked myself into the operating room did they was there any chance of death from the surgery did they address that or did it need to be addressed or is it a pretty safe procedure we had to sign waivers and all that stuff like anytime they're dealing with like i guess surgery of brain or any kind of that something that important they um yeah we signed a bunch of waivers that like there's the possibility of like slight slight hearing problems like which one of which i suffer from till like you know death to losing like becoming paralyzed like you know they're doing like extreme like extremely sensitive work so yeah there was risks of all that stuff do you want to go into the work that had to be done. But just before we go into that, yeah. what hearing problem are you suffering from? So after like down the line after surgery, I couldn't hear out of my left ear. Like I couldn't so say we're in like a, a place where there's some noise. If you're on my left side of my body talking to me, all I hear is mumbled, mumbled. I can't like differentiate words. I can't understand what someone's saying. If I hold the phone up to my left ear, which luckily now I don't ever hold the phone up to my ear at all anymore. But when I used to talk in the like with the phone to my ear, if it was on my left ear, like I couldn't couldn't hear what someone was saying. Like, it's not deaf where I can't hear noise. I hear noise, but I can't like decipher words at all. And then, yeah, a few other symptoms that I'll get into. Like, is that. there an ear ringing at all? No, not no? an ear ringing. No. Interesting. So yeah. we don't need to go into this deeply, but yeah. I have a hearing loss in my left ear. Really? But I have tinnitus What's or that? tinnitus. I don't know if the tendonitis, tinnitus, or tinnitus. I I think it gets pronounced differently in depending where you're from, but it's a constant ringing of the ear. Really, with a hearing loss, but it's in my left ear. So I found that wow, kind of interesting. <laughs> but interesting. yeah, no, I'm um, more interested in definitely going down the, the you know the path we were we were just on. Yeah. So what was actually involved? in the surgery that they were going to be undertaking. So they explained this to me beforehand that they were 
gonna you know slice my head open in the bag i think it was like a three to four inch incision and then they had to crack my skull and just saying this now just sounds so so crazy they had to crack my skull and then they had to lift my brain because the the place where the like the shape of the brain where the tumor was like it wasn't it wasn't accessible to like just when they cracked the skull the tumor wasn't accessible from where they could see they had to lift the brain a little bit and then they just kind of like scraped the tumor out and they ended up getting like 95% of the tumor out they like 5% of it was like stuck so heavily to the brain stem that like that's where like they really could have done damage if they got too close to that so they left yeah like a small percentage of that in there and yeah then they moved my brain back down put some uh, screws in my skull to keep it together staples and stitches in my head it was like an eight hour surgery i think yeah and then it's got to be an immense amount of stress on the family right an eight hour surgery i can't even like i can't imagine yeah from their perspective for sure like what that was like just sitting there waiting like i'm sure we've all waited for someone in you know in a hospital or doctor's office or something and for a couple minutes half hour so it starts seeming like a while imagine like eight hours just sitting there waiting so yeah it's probably heavy for them for sure all right yeah that's um yeah going into the just the logistics of what you just went through is to say it in in words like you know crack the skull lift the brain scrape out the tumor it's like this stuff happens every single day to so many people in the world. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. And it's, it's so it's so extreme. It's, it's certainly. And the the other part is it's probably often the only option that these people are getting. Yeah, so like me. You know, yeah, that's, there's that's there's it. no other option. It's um it is the way to go and I've got no idea about like, you know, the pros and cons. I've never, you know, been there or around people until I've met you. Yeah. Um, that have had to weigh these decisions up. So after the surgery, you know, they obviously have to tell you that there is 5% remaining yeah. and the reasons why they had to leave it there. Yeah. What kind of reaction did you guys have to all of that and what was the the steps forward from there? So I first, my first memory was like kind of opening my eyes and my mom was like there. It was in... um think i see you so there's like i I heard a lot of noise and it was just like again not noise that i could like understand it was just like muffled noise and i my mom was next to me i couldn't see her but I, i i felt her and like i knew she was there um and i could hear slightly but so they told me they didn't tell me much but they were just kind of worried about all my they were asking me if i could move my body if i could do all these things um for the first three days after was just like kind of regaining my senses. Like I couldn't see more than a blur. I couldn't read. I couldn't walk, couldn't do all those things. So like, I didn't know anything at this time. I'm sure they told my parents right away or whatever, but I didn't know anything at this time. Um, it was more so they were just worried about me kind of regaining my senses. And the worst part about my recovery honestly was, as soon as I couldn't 
put my tongue in my mouth. My tongue was so big for some reason. Like I didn't know why. Like I couldn't really understand why, but I just I couldn't breathe out of my mouth. And like I just knew my tongue was out of my mouth. So like I didn't know why. So like three days pass and then I wake up one day and it was the first day after it was the fourth day after surgery that like I opened my eyes and like I could see, you know, I could see a bed. I could see my hands in front of my face. I could see what's going on. So I, I had a mirror next to me and I, I grabbed the mirror and I look in it. And my tongue was literally, like, I would say quadruple the size that it's supposed to be. Maybe even bigger. It was so big that it didn't fit in my mouth. It was so swollen. And it had this, like, this, like, scarry, like, canker sorry thing all around it. It looked like my tongue was, like, infected by, like, snake skin. So I was just like, what the fuck is going on, you know? Like, it was, like, extremely painful. Couldn't breathe out of my mouth. It was, like, my, my, it was just wild. So once my parents came into the room, doctors came in, I asked what was going on. So during the surgery, I was face down for the whole surgery. And while they were, you know, in my brain, they hit some kind of nerve where I bit down on my tongue. So I was biting onto my tongue for the entire time of the surgery. Yeah. So that was just swollen scar tissue all but my tongue because I had such a huge like gash in my tongue from biting it for so long. Yeah. That, so like that ended up being like for the for the six days I was in the hospital that was my biggest concern I was just like I, I need like do something for my tongue so all these doctors are coming in like doing MRIs doing CAT scans like telling my parents and me like what's the next plan telling them about the like the 5% left of the tumor and I was just like do something for my tongue like please and yeah that ended up going on for two months my tongue my tongue was swollen for a month to the point out of my mouth. I couldn't get into my mouth. Couldn't talk? I could talk, mumble talk. Okay. Like, mumble talk. And then maybe maybe three weeks like that. And then after about... And this whole time now for eating, all I could eat was a straw like put into the side of my mouth, like into my, into my throat, like basically. I couldn't chew on anything. I couldn't get food into my mouth. It was, it was too, too... My tongue was too swollen. So once all the scar tissue disappears... I had a gash about like an inch and a half deep into my tongue and like a half inch wide. So now still like I could talk now, but like I couldn't eat because food would literally get like stuck in my tongue and it was like an open wound. It was so painful to anything to touch it. So I was still, the only food I was eating was like Slurpees, slushies, like all these like um, the things they give me in the hospital when you're not eating like nutra smoothies and things like that like that's all i was consuming because that's all i could physically get into my mouth um so that ended up being like the craziest part of the initial recovery was my tongue but other than that i couldn't walk for like five days six days so they can't they don't let you leave the hospital until you can walk so after about the sixth day i was able to get up walk out of the hospital we left and then for the month after that it was just like kind of recovery from that like we knew we had to do radiation we knew that was the next step but like kind of there was no focus on that it was just like i was so banged up from the surgery it was just like all right we need to like recover from that yeah yeah that's that's it's crazy to yeah to to absorb yeah (laughs) um and like from a patient's perspective i can i can definitely understand that you know you want to be able to communicate you want to be able to have just like regular day-to-day functionality back yeah and 
what probably seems small to everyone else yeah. is like killing you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That that does sound incredibly yeah. frustrating. So then like the the month after the surgery while like I was recovering, like the tongue thing's going on, I'm recovering from that. And at the same time that's happening, like I can't I can't read anything because like I can't focus. My eyes wouldn't focus on anything. It was extremely painful to focus on something. I couldn't watch TV. Did that cause headaches? Oh yeah, extreme headaches, and like, and it was just like, like nauseating, and like, I would just yeah, not I couldn't do anything that involved me focusing my eyes on anything. So, coming out of surgery, having these, I suppose symptoms. Yeah. Was there prescriptions from the doctors to like say, oh, you know, you've got bad headaches, Bobby. We're going to give you X. Yeah. You, your tongue swollen. We're going to give you this. Yeah. Uh, you've just had major surgery on your brain. Yeah, we're going to give you this. What was the, yeah, what was the the medication like? And and let's start getting into to the recovery process. Yeah. Um. Afterwards, and you know what you went through. So, there. First thing that they were concerned about was swelling my brain because like, you know, they just moved my brain around, did some major surgery to it. So they were concerned about swelling. So I was on steroids for that, like some heavy-duty steroids. And then also for my tongue, I was on some antibiotics. And um, for the steroids, they caused like extreme anxiety. So then I was taking a, a pill for anxiety. And then I was also getting extremely nauseous, like vomiting. I was taking a pill for that. At this time, this is before radiation. It ended up being more once radiation started, but... I was taking like seven to eight different pills like every day, you know, wake up, take the pills before bed, take the pills. It was just like, I felt like, you know, like a, like a science experiment, you know, like it was just like overwhelmed. My mom would lay out all these pills, take them every, you know, it was just, it was wild. Um, so like I was saying, I couldn't really focus on anything. So I was, most of my days were spent, like I would get up. I would get up if I was lucky enough to sleep. The steroids made my brain so so like active that I couldn't sleep. So I would literally spend nights just like laying in bed, staring at the ceiling. Get up in the day, I would go downstairs, you know, eat a smoothie or something or like something, some kind of food ground up. We had to cut all my food or or put it in like the food processor just so I could like get it into my mouth. What kind of foods? Like, <laughs> I mean fruit smoothies definitely like in the mornings and stuff but like for dinner it was like you know chicken cutlets or whatever like ground up yeah just ground up and it was like what, chicken cutlet smoothies <laughs> oh it sounds so gross <laughs> like chicken cutlets like they would cut it up really small and like mix it with some other things and then like i would kind of put it in the side of my mouth where my tongue wasn't beat up and like kind of chew it on that side but like I was barely eating because I it was just such a process and I just didn't have really much interest. It was more so of my mom and like my dad like making me eat. Like you need to eat. That was the only reason I was eating. Um, but I was spend my days kind of just like sitting on the couch, like staring at the wall, like literally like nothing else. Like if my mom would take me for walks, that was like a huge thing. My dad would come over and like we'd hang out. That would be great. Friends would come visit. I was with my brother Maddie at the time, and like. Those those are the highlights of my days, you know. Recovery was just like pretty much sitting on the couch, like, just like thinking like what is going on, you know. A lot of thoughts like that. So because you're awake for so long, 
Yeah. And you're, you're spending this time, you know, kind of like inactive and somewhat alone. What, did it have a toll on the, you know, obviously physically it was tough, but the mental side of things, how did you combat or come to terms with what you were going through? But yeah, also just having so much time to think. Yeah. Did, how did that kind of go for you? It was, you know, mixed. Like I, at one, at moments I would feel so much love because of how many people would be visiting me, how many people would be, you know, raising money for, for the funds of like, you know, all the expenses and stuff. Like I was so grateful and so happy with all that. But at the same time, I was like so depressed, you know? So just thinking like, like why did this happen? How did this happen? Like, what am I like going through right now? And like just being so unsure and in so much pain and like just so much misery every day. And like I, there was a point maybe I was home for like two weeks and I was laying in bed and I was just like, like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I was like, if this is what life is going to be like, I'd rather die. And like, I asked God or whoever's above, like make the decision for me because like, I don't want to live like this. This is not like, this is not okay. And how long did this go for? So how long is the recovery process? Um, So in that process, like after two weeks of at home care, we were back at the doctors and they're like, you know, setting up radiation appointments. They're like pushing the process along. And so it was about a month and a half after surgery was February 12th. So March 26th of 2012. So it's like, you know, however, a month and a half later, radiation starts first day of radiation. And I heard like so many mixed things about it, you know, what the effects of it, what it could cause, whatnot. And I, for the first, it's like you, you walk in and, they set you up on this table. They put this like really tight fitting mask on, on my face, like super tight fitting to the point I can't even move. Um, they like, strap your arms in, your legs in, so you're like to the table, and there's this huge machine, like huge, huge machine, and it just like rotates around my head, like shooting this red laser. Like I could visibly see this laser getting shot out of it, but um. The whole process literally took like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, quick process. And we were driving, my dad was taking, my dad, I took a leave from work and was taking me there for all the treatments. And like, we would drive an hour to the city from Levittown for like 15 minutes of, of treatments. Like that part was like equally terrible. Like the last thing I wanted to do at the time was sit in the car, you know? Um, so for the first week or so of treatments of the radiation, like I didn't really feel anything. I was like, you know what? Maybe this won't be too bad. But they kept saying, like, it takes a little while to get in, like, just see how you're feeling after a couple weeks. And then by the second week, like, it started, like, the heaviest, nauseating feeling that I could ever experience. Like, instant, like, throwing up all the time, like, not, literally not craving any food, like, nothing. I didn't want to eat anything. Um, I was just, like, so sick, headaches. Like, I didn't want to do anything other than lay down. Um, I ended up through this whole process. The radiation was 33 straight days, or 33 days except for the weekend. So it was Monday through Friday for like five and a half weeks. And it was, it was, it was just like so intense on the level of like how the effect it had on my body. 
like I wasn't eating and throwing up. So like I now I'm probably like 160 pounds or so. I haven't weighed myself in a while, but at that time before surgery started, I was like 190 pounds. I was like playing college basketball. I was like, you know, bigger, bigger body. Um, I was down to 120 pounds. So like I lost 70 pounds throughout this two month process. And like, I looked just so sick and it was like, it always, it always dawned on me that like I had this, this tumor growing for however long. And like, I never felt sick other than the pain I had in my back. You know, like I never felt nauseous. I never felt like debilitated in any way. And then in two months of like treatment, like I felt just so sick. I felt like I didn't want to live. Like that's how sick I felt. And it was just like, it's always felt so backwards to me, that process. But I just didn't understand it at the time, you know? Yeah. Again, hard for, you know, hard for me to comprehend. Um, So where was, was, yeah, how long did these feelings last for? Um, What happened after the radiation? So it ends up being like, Every three months after radiation, I have to go back to the doctor, get like MRI of my brain and my spine because like they're worried that the tumor could travel down my spine because of like its relativity. And at the time, the doctors told me too that there's um, a 25% chance that the tumor is going to come back. It's like just like straight up off the bat, like they're just like there's a 25% chance. When you say come back, do you mean like that the the small part of it? That was left. That was left. Keeps would, growing. Would metastasize and like yeah. start growing back super aggressively because yeah. like they said, once you treat it, anything that grows back is going to be much more aggressive. Okay. So yeah. So they told me there's a 25% chance, which I like, again, I didn't question it, but I was just I was always just like, like, that just feels kind of like, why, why do I have a 25% chance? You know, like, just cause I had it now there's, it just felt weird. Like I felt like I had little control over, over it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah then after radiation it was like kind of I felt like getting reacclimated into society like to friends and stuff like doing things um, I felt like I had no purpose you know I felt like lost I didn't know what I was doing I started working at the deli again and like just kind of it was almost like nothing happened at a cert- after a certain point it was almost just like I was like grateful to be here but like i was doing the same things again you know um it took me two years to be able to go back to school so i still was still on the same path of like figuring out like i want to graduate college you know that's the most important thing here so i decided that i wanted to go back to i was going to go to nassau community college now the community college in, in this town in this community and um and yeah then uh Jordan Black, I was thinking. So it takes you from the from the date of the surgery to deciding to go back to college. Yeah. There's a two year two year gap, gap because I wasn't able to pass tests to go back to school. Like I needed to be able to pass these certain tests to go back to school. And you and weren't passing them? No, because like my brain function wasn't high enough. You know, like I couldn't I couldn't calculate things. I couldn't remember things. Like I think I still have slight potentially memory loss but i don't even like to like consider that anymore like consider that option but like i would have hard time remembering things like one day to the next so like my goal was to play college basketball and and 
and graduate. So I was so focused on that. So all my focus was, was doing these tests and like working out and like getting my body back into shape. So I was like eating again, but like, again, eating all these foods that I grew up eating the standard American diet. I was right back to eating all these foods, but like it was looked at like, good. Oh, you're eating, you're gaining weight. That That's awesome. So in this whole time of, uh, you know, the amount of doctor's appointments you would have had and the, the surgery that you've had, the recovery process that you've gone through, how much, how much discussion was dedicated to n- nutrition? None. Zero. Zero. So it was complete reliance on, I suppose, the, the medication, yeah. the radiation. Yeah. And the surgery. Yeah. Okay. That was so it. The so like I had no, no, no thought to nutrition whatsoever. No. So I, I didn't even, I didn't even question it. You know, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. Um, Got it. And yeah, so the, once I was able to pass these tests, go back to school, I played basketball at NASA. I, I, I was working out for so long. I was able to like get my body back to shape. I was never the same basketball player because like my motor skills were just completely affected. So like. Mm-hmm. My peripheral vision was shot. Like I, I had worse balance. Like I had a lot of issues, but I was able to play, but just not at the level that like I was formerly able to play at. But you know, I played on the team with my brother Maddie at the time, which was like it was an incredible like experience doing that. Um, so yeah, like everyone was like, you know, it was cool. Like I, I made the recovery, you know, from from cancer survivor. Now I'm playing college basketball again. It was a cool story. And then in our, we made it to the championship game and I ended up tearing my ACL in that game. And at this time, like, not that it matters. Was it like early on in the game? Was it, you know, what <laughs> no, it matters. create it was, the, the cinematic kind of, yeah, it was yeah. early. It was like early in the first half. And like, yeah. I just came off like probably the best game that I played like in that year in the semifinal. So I was feeling good. And like, at this time, remember, I'm still thinking after this year, like I'm going on to the four-year school and I'm going to play college basketball there and then I'm going to graduate. So like this was huge for mm-hmm. me that I was at this stage. I was playing, I was getting really good again. Like I felt good. So I felt like, you know, everything was like aligning for me. And then, yeah, early on in the game, I was just like sprinting back on defense and like my knee just gave out, tore my ACL. So at the time I was devastated and I was just like, you know, like, what's, like, what's next? Like, this is all I ever knew, all I ever did. Um, I felt like, you know, I was, I felt like such a victim. You know, I made it back from this crazy thing, and then, boom, this happens. So, recovering from that. Did that involve another surgery? Yeah, yep. another surgery on my knee. Yeah, it was exactly the second surgery on my knee. But, like, that seemed, like, so minor to me after, like, what mm-hmm. previously happened, you know. So then, yeah, I... Got knee surgery, laid up for, you know, two to three months, not doing much. Scrolling through Instagram one day, and I see a post about Forks Over Knives. It's a documentary on Netflix, and it was claiming that, like, cancer, heart attack, diabetes, all this stuff is, like, reversible, preventable by eating a plant-based diet. I didn't even know what a plant-based diet was at the time. I didn't know what the word vegan meant. Like, I didn't know any of this stuff. And you're, like, 22, 23? Four at this 24? time. Yeah, yeah, just turned 24. And I didn't know any of this stuff meant. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm sitting here, whatever. I'll check it out. And I, w- I watched it. And anyone who's watched Forks Over Knives know how, how powerful it is. And I was just like, 
it just hit me like in that moment. Like it was just like the most eye-opening experience in my life. I was like, wow, like this is truth. Like, and like it went from like really resonating with me to really infuriating me really quickly because I made this connection that I went through that process of, of, you know, surgery, radiation of just absolute like sickness and now, like, all these doctors are saying that, like, you could heal yourself naturally and you could prevent these things from even happening. And I felt like I was lied to. I felt betrayed. I felt like all these crazy emotions. And then one of the, after I did some more research on my phone and then on Netflix, then one of the things that pops up, like, what else you'd be interested in, Cowspiracy pops up. So I give that a watch same day, maybe a couple hours after watching Forks Over Knives. And then I was just like, again, shocked, lied to, like, what the heck? And then I was watching with my brother Ryan, and we decided in that moment that we're going vegan. Like, both of you? Both of us. Like, Together, He, was, that's he cool. was vegetarian at the time. Okay. But then he watched these things, and he pushed them over the edge. And we were just like, that's it. Like, we're both going vegan immediately. Nice. Yeah. So... I can I think a lot of people experience the the anger at you know not knowing the information in the first place but it must be on just some astronomical level for yourself because of what you've just gone through in the yeah. last in the last 2 to 3 years. Yeah. So coming out of watching that you know, you've you've obviously made the the decision to to adopt the the whole food plant based diet. Yeah. What did you go out and then do? Like, <laughs> you know, I can't even imagine. You must have been just yelling it from the rooftops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was so I was so like new to it. So like I didn't really transition like from you know your standard American diet to vegan diet like i went straight from standard american diet to plant-based diet because like and what's the do you want to just explain a little bit of the difference yeah, yeah totally so like i feel vegan is more of like a lifestyle choice you know like you're choosing no harm to animals in any way like the food you eat the clothes you wear the products you wear all that stuff and i fully resonate with that and, and enjoy not labeling myself as vegan because i don't want to separate but just you know identifying with that lifestyle because i totally agree with it but plant-based i think is more of a diet more focus on foods you know whole food plant-based you want to eat all whole foods because there's vegan you know pizza vegan donuts vegan any kind of food you can imagine could be made vegan but it doesn't mean it's healthy or good for our bodies so i think that's an important distinction to be made and yeah i went straight to like the whole foods i went straight to like you know, beans, rice, quinoa, lentils, grains, like greens, yeah, yep. fruits, veggies. Like, I went right to all that. No stuff. oil, no salt, yeah. all that. Kind I didn't of know stuff. about the oil right away. Okay, I, I knew about it, but I wasn't necessarily totally on board with the oil right away. So I was still using oil, but not excessively. But but yeah, now you were like, like, I was really yeah, going for it. Yeah, straight. Yeah. Like it wasn't even like something I thought about. Like, oh, this is gonna be tough. This is over. It was like, this is what I'm doing. And like, I'm going to figure out how I'm doing it. And yeah, it was, it was just from that point forward, it was like my soul was set on fire. It was a, one of the first times in my life that I felt like, like I had a purpose. And I like, you know, I felt like everything that happened to me leading up to that moment was 
divinely meant to happen, you know, like it needed to happen to me so that I could change my life and I could like help other people change their lives, prevent these things from happening. So yeah, it was ended up just yeah shifting my perspective and lighting me on fire in a way of like, I need to tell everyone about this. So I want to just go back slightly to, you know, those times where your first, you know, just think like you're first diagnosed, you're coming out of surgery. And do you see those now? I know we can't go back in time as like missed opportunities for for teachings on, you know, is this where we can teach people or... Are you saying from like the doctor's perspective? Yeah, is this where we can like move forward as a society? Like coming out of a huge uh, surgery and then going back to the standard American standard American yeah. diet, we now know that that just gives your body the environment to to grow, you know, cancers yes. and plaques in the arteries and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah, you must have felt really really hard done by because you're giving you know the body just this environment again to to regrow a tumor that you've previously battled and and got rid of yeah um so well said so accurate like so yeah what what happened when you when you gained this knowledge did you speak with any doctors about it or did you speak with any family and friends about it how did it play out for you so i was i was like I get, like I said, outrage. And right away I told my dad, cause I was living with my dad now at the time. And I told him like, I was still working at the deli and I was like, I'm quitting the deli tomorrow. And he's like, you have to give your two weeks, whatever. And I was like, all right, I'll do that. Um, buy the book. Exactly. Yeah. I can, so, I, I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> so much against my moral compass. I did not want to do that at all. It was one of the toughest two weeks stretch, like cutting, roast beef and other meats and making chicken colored sandwiches, you know, the knowledge I now knew and what I felt. But, um, yeah, so I did that. My, my parents, like my, they were accepting of it immediately. I think also just cause they could see how serious I was with it. You know, like there was, it wasn't something that anyone could like, uh, talk me out of or it was just like, this was happening and it helped that my brother Ryan was doing it as well. My younger brother, Maddie, he was like super supportive of it and into it. Um, yeah, so then in, so I was still going for three month checkups at the time. Every three months I would go for the full MRIs and I had, you know, 5% of the tumor left in my brain. Yeah. That 5%. Yeah. Did that stay there throughout? Yeah, that stay, stayed there throughout. Stayed there throughout. So it was there for now three years after surgery. It's still there. Didn't grow. Didn't grow. They they were keeping an eye on it. These tumors they take so long to grow. Huh. They can take so long to grow. So that's why they were they were checking. Originally they were checking it every month, and then they start checking it every three months. And then after after you make it to five years, they check it like once every six months. So like if it grows, they'll catch it. it it's not like it'll go from like a tiny size to like a really big size in two months. You know, it takes a little bit of time. But um, yeah. So I, was, I went for my MRI, and it just worked out that after like my latest MRI, I watched Forks Over Knives and Cowspiracy, like maybe like a couple days after. So I had a full three months before I went back. So each MRI I go to, the doctor would say like, oh, you know, it's this little thing here, that's the 5%, whatever. And he, they would always say like, you know, you're fine, it's not growing. It was quick checkups all the time. So I go to this one now, I'm excited to go to him, tell him I'm eating plant-based, whatnot. 
take the MRI, go sit down in his office. I'm with my mom. And he says, huh, it's interesting. I can't, I can't find the, the 5% of the tumor here. He's scrolling around. He's zooming in. Can't find it. So I'm like, you know, doctor, I've been you know, eating this plant-based diet for the past three months. I watched this documentary. I've read these books. I did all this research. These doctors are claiming that, you know, you could cure cancer and all these things. He was so disinterested in what I was saying. Wouldn't even acknowledge that he couldn't find the tumor on the on the, the screen. Like, he wouldn't say that it's gone. Like, he just was like, I can't find it. But it was so clearly there every other time, you know? And it was so obvious. And, like, his just straight up disinterest in what I was saying was just like, I, it clicked for me in that moment. I was like, I, I see what's going on here. And I've got like a complete visual yeah. and you've experienced it. You've, you've gone through, you know, a couple of years of checkups. Yeah. It must've felt routine almost. It's yeah. like, yeah, I'm going, I get my MRI. Yeah. They show me it's still there. Yeah. It hasn't grown. Yeah. Let's go back to, you know, carving up meat at the deli and, <laughs> you know, regular life or whatever was, was happening. such a great depiction because that's what it was. It's so, it's just it routine and yeah. then it, it's nicely lined up that the, the forks over knives yeah, so happens, perfect. you know, afterwards. Yeah. Um, after that MRI. But the fact that you've gone through years of this routine of seeing it yeah. the, the the remainder of the tumor yep. there yep. and then within a three month period three months and not being there it's gone yep and it seems like the doctor's pissed that he can't find it yep exactly and he's, he's like, like oh my machine must not be working or something <laughs> and like no that. interest in what i'm saying about like what i'm eating and stuff and like the thing that really clicked for me what i was saying is like he i saw in this documentary like them say all these things about these doctors that they don't learn anything about nutrition, that they only want to prescribe pills and surgeries and that they don't want to hear anything about like diet, nutrition, lifestyle, anything. I think it's a bit woo-woo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I saw all these things on TV, but then to experience it firsthand, it was just like, whoa, like this is real. This is actually happening. That must be like, you know, hairs up on the back of the yeah, neck. Exactly. Kind of yeah. Exactly. It was like a goosebump. I felt scared, honestly. I was like, this guy like... Like I trusted my life into his hands, you know. He was like the guy who prescribed the surgery. He gave me, he got me the guy who did the surgery. He gave me all the treatments. Like he put my life in risk, you know. And then for me to tell him this information, like pass it on to your other patients. Tell them there's other options, you know. Maybe there's a, a different way. Like he had no interest. And At least was, start eating this way. He literally said to me, "He's still gonna eat steak." Like he said that to me. Like he said that to you to me in the in that same day. He literally said to me, "I'm really happy about your diet. I'm still gonna eat steak." And like, I was just like, it was almost like the final jab that he could give me. And I, yeah, I never... Has he been with you along the whole journey? The whole journey. Yeah. Whole journey. Wasn't like a congratulations, like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like 5% of your tumor's gone. Like, almost like you said, like annoyed that it wasn't there. And then a dismissive of what I was telling him. And then like that final little dig. And then I never went back after that. I've never been back to that hospital, that doctor. Never. So first of all, I don't want to lay some kind of like blanket over doctors. Yeah. Because it's not the case. Totally. I so, don't want to do that either. Yeah. I hope I'm not doing that. No, no, no. 100%. Okay. This is like your personal yeah. experience. That's all you've got to, to give. Yeah. So yeah, but um, so your family are in the room. My mom was with me. Your yeah. mom was with you and I met your mom last week <laughs> and I could, you know, I, I the feeling I was getting from her was also 
the, the same from you I'm getting now. It's like, I can't imagine going through that with family members and giving this guy basically your life in his hand yeah. and then just to be so blasé about the whole thing. Yeah. And then and also like in that three-month process, like my tumor went away, yes, but like the effects of my physical body were just remarkable. Like how much life mm-hmm. I regained, how much like the fat I lost around my face, the fat I lost around my hips, the energy levels I had. Probably like, like bags under the eyes, that oh kind of gosh, stuff. It yeah. was like, I felt like I didn't, like I saw life differently. Like it mm-hmm. was just new eyes that I was gifted, you know? And like my mom saw this, my dad saw this. So like they knew it was real. So like, what was the what was the conversation like leaving that that doctor's office that day? It, I was enraged. I was like, at this time, I was I I handle it so much better now. I'm much more uh, reserved about it now. But at the time, you know, I, I was like angry. Like I was an angry person about this specific instance because like I like we talked about. It, I felt like they put my life in danger, you know, and like they had no regard for what I was saying. So I was just flipping out on the way home. My mom was you know calming me down, telling me you know whatever but like i was i was enraged and i was like i want to at the time i'm like i'm writing an article about this doctor i'm gonna like blast him i'm gonna bring down the hospital you know do it all but um yeah it was my mom at the time was actually like kind of experimenting with plant-based vegan lifestyle too like she was open to it she saw the effects it was having on me i was living with her at the time so i was making her the food i started making which is another incredible thing i never made food like before I like changed my diet. Like I flat out did not make food for myself unless it was something that came in a package that I could like put in the microwave. Pop tarts, hot pockets. Exactly. <laughs> Macaroni and cheese yeah, in the yeah. in the pot. Yeah. And then after I switched my diet, probably a lot because of the lack of, of options of eating out if you're looking for plant based foods, but like I just fell in love with cooking. Like I just loved cooking. I loved taking like different ingredients and vegetables and fruit and then grains and all this stuff and putting them together and making like food it was like incredible so that's you know what side note it's fun isn't it so fun you're kind of like i see like your spice collection over there is pretty like that starts coming into it and you're like flavoring foods different ways textures of foods yeah brie my girlfriend is like the best with the spices like she yeah anything now i just give them to her and she can whip up a mean fruit bowl she makes like anything to yeah fruit bowl yeah Yeah. you just had a fruit bowl how good was that yeah so good yeah that was she's incredible yeah yeah no i i totally feel you on the cooking part anna and i sucked yeah (laughs) cooking and then this without a doubt transformed you know our cooking ability yeah. and just want it was the want to cook you exactly. want to prepare it's the connection foods. you know yeah it's, it's like when you when you realize like because you watch forks over knives you realize you know the power of the food but then you watch like earthlings mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. anyone's never seen earthlings like it's a must watch shows kind of what goes on in animal agriculture and you just realize like what you're putting on your plate is either like something living something that's going to give you life or it's something dead that's going to like rot in you and you make that connection and it's just like you become so attached to the food that you're creating then and then you make some food and you're like wow this tastes so good like i put my love and intention into the food and like you taste it and it's like it gets hard to like 
we barely eat out anymore except for like you know organic grill where we met so yeah we should probably give him a quick shout out yeah our man vlad vladimir he, yeah he connected us on a it was i think it was last week it yeah was last week yeah that was pretty funny i walk in and vlad's like <laughs> What do you say? Perfect, perfect. Perfect, perfect. You guys sit down. Sit down. I, I crashed your family lunch. It was perfect. Uh, it was gold. Yeah, but Organic yeah. Grill in New York City, best organic vegan restaurant I've ever been to. I can't imagine anything close to All that. around, it's just a good experience. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I... Yeah, just a great experience. Vlad's a very hospitable guy. Yeah. And Friendly service. Feel, yeah. Like a great place. But... um. Yeah, so we get it's gotten to the point now where like we've been doing this now. I've been plant based vegan for over three years now, and like it's hard for me to even eat out anywhere. Like if I'm not preparing the food, like who's preparing it? What are they using? Are they using oil? Are they in a good mood? What kind of attention is going into this food? Like is there meat that's being made in the premises? Like I just if I'm not in control of like what I'm making, it's hard for me to eat now. And this is. This is coming from a place of choice. Yeah. You're choosing. I think exactly. a lot of people get confused by this. Yeah. It's that's not a, that that's it, a good point. It's Thank not you. that yeah. you can't. Yes. Because we could go to any burrito yeah. joint, yes. any, you know, whatever, and get plants in our burrito. Yeah. But this is a choice by you. Yes. You're saying, no, I'd much prefer to pre- pre- prepare it myself. Yes. Make it myself because I know what it's, it's going to give me in return. Yes. Um, and that's another thing that, you know, it, it is a a continuous growth and a continuous learning experience. But someone offered this to me the other day and I hadn't really processed it on this level before. But like our hair grows, our nails grow, yeah. you know, our skin is continually regrowing and, you know, uh, developing. Yeah. And what we eat becomes that. Yeah. It's incredible. And I'd never thought of it on that level. Yeah. And I was like, no shit. Yeah. And like rotting carcasses in our colon. We wonder why colon cancer is like yeah. skyrocketing. Yeah. It's in direct alignment with the increase of processed meats and meats in general yeah. that have, have happened, you know, over the last decades. Yeah. So, I think it's so important to 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 mention and be aware of that, like the way that like Americans and I'm sure a lot of countries now, quote unquote, first world countries, eat meat is just like not. This is new the way that we're eating meat in the processed foods. Like this hasn't been you know a way of life. The quantity, yeah, the yeah. quantity, the you know the 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 availability, like all yep. of this stuff is all new. Um, and then on another level that you alluded to um, briefly, the energy. So by watching Earthlings, do you want to go into that? Like by watching Earthlings and then connecting the the energy and, you know, by no means do you have to take this information and believe it. Yeah, totally. Just go and watch it yes. and like learn about it and dig yourself and and ask questions yeah. yourself. But what did you yeah. learn from Earthlings and about about yeah. the energy of what you were putting into well, your body. First of all, I think that's so important what you said. And it's like important for me to voice that. And I think for everyone that take everything from what anyone says, you know, and do your own research and read into it and see how it makes you feel. Me and you were talking like we're passionate about this. We feel this, but 
we're in no way pushing it or wanting anyone else to believe it because or feel it because we're saying it like look into it that's all like my message is and be aware um but yeah that that kind of well one of the first scenes they kind of show like in earthlings like you know dogs and more pets and like they kind of set the, the scene for you that like they make the connection right away that there's not a difference between like you know the dog and the and the pig and the cow like they're they're all they're, they're so unique but they're all living beings they're all intelligent capable of emotions feelings so once you make that connection and then you start seeing these animals living environment and the way they're slaughtered and how much fear and anger is involved in that and then when you make the connection of like energetics and like everything is energy and food is energy you see that fear anger like crazy just morbid things that go on if you then put that into your body like like you said when it's rotten in your carcass it, it takes so long to, for for our bodies to digest meat i think it's like upwards of 72 hours i think to digest meat as compared to like six hours to for for fruits and vegetables even quicker for fruits but when we have a carcass of like that kind of energy just sitting in our body beyond the effects it has on our on our body and like you know on the cellular level of like sickness but just like energetics like the mood that it has the mood that it puts you in i can remember eating those kinds of foods and feeling sluggish and feeling like weighed down feeling triggered angry and like that's direct connection to the the energy that's in that food, you know. I just spoke with with Doctor Furman. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to that. Yeah, and he he made those same links. Uh, his latest book goes into it. It's called Fast Food Genocide for anyone interested, but about the mental state as well of yeah. in, ingesting those types of foods you're uh, referring to any processed foods yeah um you know it directly affects also the mental state that we're in yeah so, i think that's it's it's like really i know you, we were talking a lot earlier about your your um talk with dr Furman yesterday and like um, like i said i'm so looking forward to hearing it and you were explaining he's trying to take it to like the next level of that and like i'm so with that too because like I'm so for the the vegan lifestyle and like, all behind it. All behind. I'm not like, going to mock any no, person deciding to go into it. It's incredible. For moral ethical purposes. Like to, I so much support that. That's inspiring. 100%. But like, yeah. I think it's important for us to talk about like the the foods that we're consuming for our health, for human health, and like take it to the level of you know plant based eating and eating whole foods and the level it has, the field has energetically for us and. I could speak on, and I'm sure you can, and most people that eat a plant-based diet, like the way it opens your, your brain to new thoughts and new opportunities and unlocks these like doors and stuff. It's like, it's no doubt the energy and the food that's creating these like connections in our body. It's, yeah. Yeah. It leads us to new opportunities, new people, new conversations. Yeah. Um, people, like these connections. Creativity. Yeah. Everything has started to to blossom yeah and it's not like a an instant effect you still have to hop on the train and totally and and do the journey and you know um yeah and just be patient but yeah it's been phenomenal yeah. and yeah i think by sharing what we've just gone through with um with yourself i yeah again it, it, it there's no end destination 
Like it's opened my eyes an extra level. Yeah. That's so uh, true. There's no there's no end destination. You know? No, it's, no, it's constantly learning and adjusting, and everyone's bodies are different, and what's going to work for one of my good friends is experience experimenting with you know just eating fruit, like the fruitarian diet. I have a friend right now who's on like day eight of a juice fast. Friends that are doing water fast. Like I think everyone's on their journey and kind of will figure out what's best for them. I just I think the umbrella should be based off of a plant-based eating though. I feel like that's where, if we're talking strictly health of people, then plant-based eating is like where where it starts. It's I the think. entry point. Yeah. And then like there's kind of navigations within that. Yep. And yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And so, just like on the, on the level of environment and what's sustainable for the environment we haven't even touched on that but like that's a whole podcast in itself of like 100 percent. we might have to revisit that that's um and that's cowspiracy is a good one but but not only cowspiracy guys you can actually put on mainstream media yeah and see it with our own eyes yeah california worst wildfires in state's history they're only gonna get worse yeah the stuff going down in Florida right now with dead fish by the yep. hundreds and thousands yep. washing up on the shore. Wow. Bree uh, and I just watched Chasing Coral, this documentary mm-hmm. on Netflix about like... That's uh, kind of sad. So sad. And like the, the the coral reefs are just like dying off. 29% of the, of the Great Barrier Reef died off in 2016. And it's like the ocean, they literally showed how it's heating up like... And only not, has to be a couple of degrees to two show, degrees yeah. above what it needs to be and the coral reef will die like it's so yeah. sensitive life is so sensitive here it's so amazing that life exists here and that we're alive and just how just like uncaring we are with that responsibility is just like just mind-blowing just because we can't see it yeah doesn't mean we shouldn't give a shit about yep. it yep it's just like the rainforest. The rainforest is like the Amazon rainforest. Or other trees getting chopped down. Like we don't see it. So it's almost like, imagine like you had to sit there and watch that happen. Like it would be gut wrenching. You would like want to just break down. But like, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I feel like most people, if they had the choice, they wouldn't want it to be this way. But like none of us really see it happening. So like we kind of like. Just goes to the back of our exactly. consciousness. Yeah. It's, it's not on the no, focus right now. Yeah. Well, that might be, have to be in another another podcast yeah. in itself. But <laughs> so coming back out of it, we've, we've left the we went off on a bit of a on a bit of a rabbit down a rabbit hole there. Yeah, but that was good. Um, rabbit holes are always good. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Um, but yeah, you said at that point your mum was kind of like, you know, experimenting with it. Yeah. Where are we at today? Like, so you then and after, your family. Yeah. So after that time after that doctor visit that kind of like solidified everything for me i was like all right i know i'm on the right path it was like yeah it was like i saw the documentaries i had this feeling that the doctors were again not i'm not bashing doctors but by in in a large sense i think western medicine is incredible for like you know broken bones and like trauma incidents and like life-saving things it's absolutely incredible but when it comes to like degenerative degenerative diseases i feel like western medicine is just really terrible and like it should always be based off of diet and lifestyle should be the first thing addressed so after seeing these things about the doctors it was still hard for me because i trusted them my whole life and like 
But once I saw that firsthand experience, I was like, all right, that was like the push I needed. Like, that's all I need. So then, yeah, I started on my journey. I was three months plant-based already, but then I like, I full force hit it. Like reading books, cookbooks, like reading uh, Dr. Campbell's, like multiple of his books, Dr. Gregor's How Not to Die. Like just so many books. And I felt like I was so informed posting about it on Instagram, telling all my friends. And after quitting the deli, I ended up getting a job at Organic Corner in Massapequa, which is very close to where we are right now, an organic juice bar. And they had a bunch of vegan food there. And um, it kind of like allowed me the opportunity to grow my knowledge on it. There was a guy who worked there at the time, a few guys that worked there and just customers and just through conversations really gaining growing knowledge. And um, my mom was about a year after I fully went plant-based. She was for a year, she was, you know, back and forth dabbling. And um, then she fully, for a while, she wouldn't call herself plant-based or vegan, but she stopped eating meat and dairy a while, like for over two years now. So that's incredible. Um, My older brother, Ryan, like I said, is, is been vegan now for same amount of time as I am. He's living in Hawaii right now. And, um, good place to be if you're yeah, a plant-based eater exactly exactly he posts things all the time on instagram and I'm mad like, fruits and, yeah yeah unbelievable stuff and my brother maddie when um i kind of switched my diet he was maddie was like my best friend always growing on my brother like he was we were the closest like closest could be and we always experienced everything together still do to this day and um he was living in the netherlands he was studying abroad there and um he kind of knew what I was doing and like was aware of it. He was doing his small changes while he was there, but then he came back and then like he switched immediately. Like once he was back, he he was like, all right, I'm going to eat this way for a month, but like, I'm I'm still going to eat chicken when I'm still going to, I was like, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry. And after a month he was just, he was, he was in it. He was fully in it. And my dad eats, he was plant-based all of the month of April. He eats like mostly plant-based now as well. And his wife, the same thing. And it's just like, it's really cool to have the support of my whole family there with me. My girlfriend, my brother's girlfriend, my other brother's girlfriend, all of us plant-based. So it's like, yeah, from where I started with like by myself, kind of like alone in this to where I am now with like the, the group of people I have is incredible. Your holiday dinners must be dope. They're so dope. <laughs> they're so dope. Yeah. Oh, that's so sick. Yeah. They're so they're so amazing. Um, but yeah, so to kind of tie in Pleasant Petites. So I was um, working at Organic Corner and maybe for like a year and a half or like a year of being plant-based. And I always had such a sweet tooth growing up. I, I already explained to you about when I was eating no fruits and vegetables, <laughs> I was going to Seven Eleven, grabbing all the candy, you know, big just, gulp. Yeah. Big gulp, Entenmann's cakes, ice cream, just like, I loved sweets. That was always like my biggest thing. And once I went plant-based, like I, there were so many vegan dessert options, but I didn't, I didn't want the donuts. I didn't want the, all that stuff. I wanted, you know, real food. And I discovered raw desserts again on Instagram, which I'm so thankful for Instagram could be definitely over overwhelming instagram but it's useful for many things as well um so i discovered raw desserts and i was just like this is like everything i want to do like i i I loved cooking at the time and i was just like let me start messing around with this and i started making things 
that were like good, some things not so good, but nothing that really like tasted or looked like, you know, this is like incredible. This is like what, what I want to have. This is what I want to show the world. So after, after like, after like a year of, uh, I don't know what that was. Thanks Siri. I think that was my phone or something (laughs) over there. Um, so after a year of like messing around, like it literally like took me a year to make something that I felt was like something I could like present to people, you know, at this time I would make things, give them to my friends, give them to my brothers. They, all my friends would call them gains cause they were like healthier dessert options, whatnot. But then I made this one thing, which you actually just tried the cacao crunch, um, so I made that. It took me like seven or eight tries on that specific bar. I kept like tweaking things, making them. And I made one and I was just like, this is it. Like, this is phenomenal. And I knew that I had something. And I was selling all my desserts in the case at the Granite Corner. So like in the deli case, I would sell my desserts. So people were buying them. It was getting like a big, you know, big name for itself. I wasn't calling them Pleasant Petites at the time. They were just like the raw desserts. And then... A woman that worked there at the time, Jamie, she was like, you need to start a business. You need to start doing this. So she helped me out, like fine tuning all the, all of my skills, you know, like making it like I would make things, but like they would taste great, but they would kind of be a little sloppy. So she helped me like fine tune everything a little bit, make it more professional looking. And yeah, we decided we launched the business March 28th of 2016. Yeah. And I can give firsthand um feedback that yeah the cacao crunch was absolutely (laughs) phenomenal man it was bomb thank you so much Um, but yeah raw desserts are so tasty uh you as as we said earlier in the pod like you get all the whole ingredients that you can consume on their own they're all you know health promoting foods so we're getting health promoting desserts it's a it's a nice thing to have yeah, I suppose at any time of the day, totally. it doesn't really matter. But exactly, yeah. that's my. I, where I would never tell someone like I don't call them healthy desserts. I, I I would fall short of calling something with added sugar, even though maple syrup and agave I think are like the healthiest added sugars that we could probably consume. I wouldn't call them healthy because they're still added sugar. Got but it. as far as like a dessert type food, like there's you can't find anything with better ingredients and like. I, our message is like showing people that like these foods, these desserts with whole ingredients, like they could be really tasty and like really great for you as well. And like, you don't have to be a vegan or be plant-based to consume these products. Like anyone that's looking for a healthier option, like you said, a snack, a midday snack, sometimes, you know, good energy. Yeah. Quick Sick en- energy. Yeah. yeah. We, we have like a granola bar that's not raw that we're coming out with a few different flavors of that. So we have granola bars. Like we just want to be like a bridge, you know, for people to show them like a healthy lifestyle. Like if you could get your, your sweet tooth fix in a healthier way, you could start making other changes as well. So how do I get my sweet tooth tooth fix with, uh, with <laughs> Pleasant Petites? How do we find you? How do we get our hands on these epic creations? Yes, thank you. So, um... You can visit pleasantpetites.com and there's a, a place on there to order online. We're local right now just in, in um, on Long Island. We sell mostly, yeah, all the stores we sell on Long Island, about 10 stores. 
we're currently undergoing new packaging, which has been like such a process getting it shelf stable. So we don't want it in the refrigerator anymore. We want it to be on a shelf. So we've been back and forth with like the lab, getting it tested, but it just got approved and we're getting new packaging within a month or so. So they're going to be nationwide shortly. We're really going to really um, expand it. Um, but yeah, go to pleasantbatiche.com. You'll have a link there to, to order them online. Visit our Instagram page, Pleasant Petites. And yeah, I think Pleasant Petites is like, it's my way of putting like my beliefs and my emotion into a bar, into a tasty treat. Beautiful, man. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good place for up for us to, to wrap this one up. Yeah. I, you know, I can see we're going to have some more conversations in the future for sure for sure uh, but yeah again so first of all so thankful that we even crossed paths that we yeah. met got the opportunity to do this and that we made it happen quickly yeah it's yeah it's been an awesome week such a wild yeah it happened so quickly yeah so yeah stoked man thank you very much yeah and thank you so much for for sharing such a a challenging time for for you yeah. your family and sharing that so so honestly with us yeah of course i i don't share it often you know especially it's been a while now and i don't talk about it much but i feel like it, it is important and if i could help you know anyone in any way i truly mean that and if anyone hearing this you know everyone has knows someone or or is someone that is affected by this or is concerned about it like reach out to me through pleasant petite send me an email and I would so openly help because it's so important to me. And that's the biggest message is that like we can control our health, you know, like we are in control. And yeah, it's, it's important for us to realize that. And I'm so grateful for you coming out here and just doing what you're doing. It's, it's incredible, you know, creating a podcast, of allowing people to share their stories to help other people. Like that's so inspiring. And I'm so grateful for you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you, dude. Peace. Peace, man. Hey guys, what an amazing story. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Bobby has an incredible story. Many people worldwide are facing the exact same diagnosis that he was given. Now, it would mean the world to me if you can share it with a friend, a family member, or on social media so that his message can be heard by those looking for help. Please go and check out Pleasant Petites at pleasantpetites.com and drop Bobby a message on Instagram. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. As always, I appreciate the reviews and ratings from those who have enjoyed listening to the podcast. So if you do have a spare one or two minutes, please head over to iTunes and drop some love. I'm looking forward to hearing from you on Instagram. You can find me at VegTalk. Let me know how you're liking the show, and if there is anyone you would like me to have on. Have a great week, and I'll see you for the next episode.